Welcome to the Principled Podcast, brought to you by LRN. The Principled Podcast brings together the collective wisdom on ethics, business and compliance, transformative stories of leadership, and inspiring workplace culture. Listen in to discover valuable strategies from our community of business leaders and workplace changemakers. Hello and welcome to another episode of LRN's Principled Podcast. My name is Ben DiPietro. I'm the editor of LRN's ENC Pulse newsletter. I hope you can find it, read it, and subscribe to it. I'm here today with Laura Sherbin, the Managing Director of Culture at Work. Hello, Laura. Nice to have you aboard with us today. Thank you so much, Ben. Glad to be here. So let's start at the top. For people who are unfamiliar, what is the mission of Culture at Work? What does the firm do to help companies improve culture? And are there specific areas which you focus on? So the mission of Culture at Work is to really partner with companies to become an extension of their own teams to help them build inclusive cultures where all of their individuals can thrive because this ultimately impacts the triple bottom line. It's a win for individuals within their firm. It's a win for the firm itself in terms of better performance. It's also a win for customers and society in terms of better business outcomes. And we really do this by helping companies move from measuring just the lagging indicators of culture to help them understand how to measure the leading indicators of culture that will help us move to solutions and ultimately provide much more informed solutions to better culture outcomes. What's an example of a lagging indicator and one of a leading indicator? So an example of a lagging indicator is even an engagement score, because an engagement score just tells you how engaged people are as a result of all of the decisions and the career experiences that have happened in their past six months or past year. It doesn't necessarily give us a path forward to change. Another example of a lagging indicator is even a simple question, how inclusive is your manager? What we want to measure is the leading indicators to help us understand how managers can be more inclusive and what go into that decision on inclusive manager. So what are the top six behaviors that your manager does to help you feel included? What could your manager do better to make you feel more engaged and a better member of the team? Because those ultimately give us so much more information on what we can do in the future. And it also gives you a little more buy-in from the employee or whoever's being asked the questions as they feel like they're getting a say in, in how things may come about to improve. Exactly. One of our taglines is that we really listen to employees differently. I don't know about you, but sometimes taking a survey online can feel a little bit like going to a doctor's examination for a checkup. And that is very far from the experience that we have with employees when we're having conversations to them. So we really listen to them in a very different way to engage them in solution building and to start to create that campaign for change of culture right in the diagnostic that we use up front. And that's some of what's been so impactful in our success. What inspired your interest in culture and organizations, and what was your career path that led you to become uh, where you ended up now as managing director of culture at work? 
Well, it's a little bit of a counterintuitive path, perhaps, but my background is I'm an academic, I'm an economist, I hold a PhD from American University, and have very much always approached things from the concept and perspective of being as efficient as possible. And really seeing those inefficiencies happen in the workplace that get in the way of people contributing to their fullest potential, organizations reaching their fullest potential, and customers ultimately receiving the best product are what led me to do a double click on this particular area. And for a while, I did it in academia. But what I've learned about academia is that when you publish, it mainly sits on a shelf. Some of the joy that I have at Culture at Work is working so closely with organizations who implement policies and programs. So your insights, your wisdom doesn't sit on a shelf. It really comes to life and ultimately creates so much change for the companies that we work with. You touched on this a little bit in your previous answer, but I also believe one of the most important times to learn about ethics and integrity is before someone is hired and wondering if you agree and how whether organizations pay enough attention to ethics during onboarding and recruiting and how they can improve in that area as well. I would say this is a yes and. I completely agree that the right time and a very critical time to learn about someone's ethics and their integrity is before they're hired. But I would also say that it's so important to do it continually throughout their employment. Because what we see so much in our work is that culture shapes behavior and your ethical behavior. And in particular, sometimes where some of the most salient culture challenges arise is when high performance really trumps bad behavior and people get away with acting in an unethical way and then others learn to do so and see that as rewarded in their culture and you have somebody that might have been hired in as an ethical hire but ultimately their behavior is changed over time and they're warped by the culture. So absolutely pay attention to it at onboarding but also remember to check back in and check into those very powerful ways that the culture and behaviors of others at your company can truly influence behavior. Are you finding companies shifting more toward this or is there still resistance to the expense and time that that all takes to do and the effort required? Companies are beginning to shift more towards this model. I would say even five years ago, they weren't there. But time and time again, we're having companies call us in because they're worried that this is something that's going on within their culture. And they realize that it's something that they need to continually monitor, that every time you make a change or or do a new work group, you're forming a new culture and you need to have your pulse on it. And certainly something that we've seen in the post Me Too movement is companies have started to realize that there's a true public price to culture risk. And unless we pay attention on it and keep our fingers on it and measure it in times of peace, times of difficult culture risk will come at us in much fuller force. As you see it, especially among younger people coming in and people not yet in the workforce who are probably even going to be more committed to some of these values-based things, it's almost like an opposite of 
instead of companies interviewing for employees, it's employees interviewing for companies, and it's going to be the companies that are going to have to answer the questions and meet the standards of the employees more than the other way around. It's a very fascinating trend that we've observed as well, and indeed one of the trigger points that leads certain clients to us. I had a client recently come to us and say, you know, in hiring conversations, we're getting interviewed and we're afraid that we're not living up to their standards in terms of being their best employer of choice. Because while we offer all of the old rewards, we haven't yet upped our value proposition on the ethics and integrity piece to the level that some of this next generation of talent believes we should. And some of this is in particular around areas of diversity and inclusion. So if a strong culture is impossible without ethics, trust, transparency, and accountability, how can organizations work to establish these in their operations if they're lacking? And what are some of the ways they can go about doing that? Well, this is a two-step process here. And number one is really doing the right diagnostic to figure out in particular where there might be breaks in ethics, trust, transparency, or accountability. One of the misunderstandings I think that a lot of senior leaders have is that their ethics hotline or their HR has it all covered in terms of whatever issues there are, they will come to the surface and we'll find out about them and we'll be able to follow them just through those channels. One of the overwhelming things that we learn is that most people don't report issues. So that's why step one here is really doing the right diagnostic to understand where the breaks are, understand where the issues are that we don't yet know about it. And then Step two would be solving for those individual issues. So, for instance, if it is, to give an example, around accountability, perhaps it is what we hear so often about top performers really getting away with breaks in ethics or bad behavior because the company knows that they need their revenue, you know, what they generate, and they're willing to get away with them a little bit more. Once we understand that that's a problem within the culture, we can then set up a process for which every individual at the company is held to the same standard, and then an audit process to ensure that that's happened year over year. Another piece that we very often hear that companies really need to work to establish to increase these operations is trust in these reporting channels so that things do come through the ethics hotline or things do come through HR and we know and we know that there's no retaliation. Similarly, if we understand where that's happening and where those breaks are, we can build a process to solve for it and then track over time and ensure that it's not happening in the future. What are two of the biggest challenges companies or organizations face when they're trying to improve their culture and what can they do to overcome these things and and make these improvements? One of the biggest challenges that we find is that they don't know what they're solving for. And in particular, they don't really have an understanding of the culture as all of the different groups of their workers experience it. So one of the first questions that we often ask when we do a talent diagnostic is, what are the first three words that come to mind to describe your company culture? And the output of that, you might think of it as a word cloud, and you get one giant word cloud for the culture. And it's incredibly illuminating and probably what a lot of leaders would naturally nod their heads to and say, yes, that looks right. 
But then you take that one word cloud and you break it out and you look at what women say compared to what men say, what white talent compared to talent of color say, what heterosexual talent compared to homosexual talent might say on that word cloud. And you learn just how differently all groups experience the same culture. So the first piece is really not understanding what we're solving for and not remembering that we all experience the culture very, very differently. The second challenge, I would say, is in communication, accountability, and reinforced behavior. And these all are lumped into one. And it's remembering that the words that we use to describe our culture in a culture change initiative only take a small portion in actually shaping the culture. It needs to be reminded to people through the behaviors of their senior leaders and others, and it needs to be rewarded in terms of what are the behaviors, what are the culture-carrying behaviors that are getting rewarded so that people intuitively are reminded every day what it means to live and breathe a culture. And it needs to happen through all of those processes and systems so there's more consistency among culture and it's greater traction. Culture isn't what you say, it's what you do. Yes, and we have research that and even more is coming out every day that shows the importance of what your direct supervisor does and how that plays a role and how your behavior is going to be. And that's such a critical part of getting that message from the senior leader to that manager down into the employee rank where it can actually have that impact. Exactly. It makes such an incredible difference. What are two or three red flags then that may signal an organization is having issues with its culture? And why are these sometimes so hard to spot, or are they actually there, but people just don't want to acknowledge them? Some are there, and people don't want to acknowledge them. I would say that one that companies often don't acknowledge is, when's the last time you went on Glassdoor for your own company, for your own work group? You know, when's the last time you looked at all of the reviews of your company that spill out of your four virtual walls, as you will. In research that I've done in the past, one of the findings that we have is when you experience an issue, you're much more likely to tell a friend or a family member or a colleague outside of your company than you are to report it through your HR channel. So in some ways, it's there in the ether on a lot of these web-based platforms, but companies aren't always proactively looking for it. A second red flag that might signal an issue is, are you really looking at your lagging indicators? These are often trigger points in which we might then partner with an organization to help. So they might see very low engagement scores within a particular demographic, within a particular business unit or overall. They might also similarly see low representation or high turnover scores. Turnover is incredibly indicative, not only of what's going on in the competitive landscape for talent, but also what's going on in your particular culture. Is it really allowing people to thrive? Many organizations sort of falsely believe that people just leave, you know, for the perception of greener pastures. You're much less likely to leave as a result of what's happened on the inside than a pull from the outside, we find in much of the research that we do. 
So how can diversity and inclusion help build these robust cultures, and, and how can that make a lot of these red flags disappear? Well, diversity and inclusion in many ways is the underpinning to a robust culture. The diversity is such a necessary ingredient. It becomes then a culture in which we can all learn from each other. There are a million reasons why homogenous cultures may make people feel good in the moment because you all agree with each other, but they're not sustainable for the future and they don't allow us to grow. Similarly, that inclusion is a very critical way in which we're able to get talent heard, to get them valued and feeling that they can contribute so that they can ultimately become a culture carrier. And it's such an incredible portion of buy-in. So it's, again, one of those mechanisms that allows a culture to really thrive well into the future. And on that, I want to thank you for taking some time with us today. It was very interesting, and I hope our listeners enjoyed it as much as I did. I appreciate your time, and I hope to uh, talk to you again soon. Thank you, Laura. My pleasure. My thanks as well for including me. We hope you enjoyed this episode. The Principled Podcast is brought to you by LRN. At LRN, our mission is to inspire principled performance in global organizations by helping them foster winning ethical cultures rooted in sustainable values. Please visit us at LRN.com to learn more. And if you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And don't forget to leave us a review.